This week on the Wager Pager podcast, Washington, D.C. votes to legalize sports gambling. Joining the eight states who have already done so, the District of Columbia hopes to take bets within a few months. Also coming out of D.C., an update on the federal sports betting bill. We'll fill you in on the details. The Score, a popular mobile sports app, announces they are crossing over the counter and will be the first media company to enter into the sports betting market. Did you hear about the poker pro who spent 20 days in a pitch black bathroom to attempt to win a $100,000 bet? Crazy stuff happening in Vegas as usual. And this week we have a very special guest, Las Vegas professional sports gambling icon, Alan Dink Denkinson. Plus, the dice man Jimmy Rulin is back to pick games for NFL Week 16. Get pumped, get psyched. It's the Wager Pager Podcast. What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Wager Pager podcast, where we talk about everything in the world of sports gambling news, conduct must-hear interviews, and give out picks and analysis. I'm your host, Chris Rogers. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at the Wager Pager. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm kind of flying solo on this ep. Mercedes and I did our interview with Dink earlier this week, and then she took off to L.A. to be with her family for Christmas. Shout out to the Barbas. And while I'm at it, where my Rogers at? And Merry Christmas to the Rulin family. Okay, enough of that. But seriously, it's Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year, and it's been a very busy week in the world of sports gambling. Once again, Mercedes is not here, so if you're tuning in for her melodic tones in the newscast, I'm sorry you're stuck with me. Let's go. Washington, D.C. lawmakers voted to legalize sports betting, making the district the only jurisdiction in the country to offer sports betting that doesn't have casinos. According to NBC News, the D.C. Council voted 11-2 to authorize betting on professional sports at the city's stadiums and arenas, private businesses like restaurants and liquor stores, and within the city limits on a mobile betting app. And since there are no casinos in the D.C. area, the state lottery will oversee the sports betting in the district. The lottery will sell licenses to sportsbooks at arenas and stadiums for $250,000 over five years, and retailers will be able to purchase a two-year license for $5,000. Also, coming out of Washington, D.C., according to friend of the pod David Purdom, Senators Orrin Hatch and Chuck Schumer have officially introduced a bill in Congress that would provide federal oversight to the fast-growing sports gambling industry. This bill would not ban sports gambling, and betting on college sports would still be allowed. Essentially, the bill would require states who seek to legalize sports betting to comply with federal standards and gain approval from the U.S. Attorney General. The Associated Press reports that states already actively regulating sports betting would be allowed to continue to operate while the U.S. Attorney General reviews their laws. The bill would create a national clearinghouse that would be responsible for monitoring suspicious betting behavior, thus protecting the integrity of the leagues. Another highlight includes an update to the Wire Act, which addresses sports betting that crosses state lines, enabling sports betting operators in separate states to exchange information. The Score, a popular mobile sports app that started as a Canadian television company before launching a mobile app in 2007, has partnered with Mammoth Park in Oceanport, New Jersey to become the racetrack's third mobile betting skin and the first media company to enter into the legal sports gambling space. The terms of the deal outline a 15-year agreement with an initial five-year period that can be extended for two more consecutive five-year periods at the discretion of The Score. The Score will soon be offering bets to its reported 3.7 million social media users. Pending approval by the New Jersey Gaming Board, The Score Sportsbook should be up and running by mid-2019. The craziest bet to come out of Vegas this year concluded with a buyout on December 10th. 
Poker pro Rich Alati accepted a $62,400 buyout from fellow poker pro Rory Young on an original $100,000 bet when he lasted for 20 days in solitary confinement in a bathroom while in pitch darkness. Alati was delivered food every two to four days, which was purposely alternated to confuse him and was allowed no contact with the outside world whatsoever. No technology, no nothing. He spent most of his time sleeping on a mattress as much as possible, meditating and exercising. Alati credits his routines of bathing and doing push-ups to avoiding insanity, although he did report that he experienced some hallucinations. There were cameras in place with a live feed for his family just for safety, and it was first thought that Alati had given in, but it seems now that the buyout was offered by Young because he thought Alati would make it the full 30 days the bet stipulated. These guys had contracts and everything. Wild. All right, guys, here's this week's interview with Alan Denkinson. What's up, guys? We are honored to have a Las Vegas sports gambling icon here with us today. You may know him from the cult classic sports gambling documentary, The Best of It, which famously profiles four Vegas professional sports bettors. Or you may know him as the best NHL hockey handicapper in Sin City. We are happy to welcome to the wager pager, Alan Dink Dinkinson. Alan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. What's up, Alan? Um, why don't we just take a few minutes here to get started for those who may not be aware with you and your background. Can you share with us uh, how you first got involved with the sports gambling industry? Um, when I was eight, my dad, who was a tiny horse better, put on uh, the uh, a show that we got on WOR in New York, and I made a pick, no, not knowing how betting works or not even knowing anything about gambling, and I picked the seven horse um, because of Mickey Mantle was number seven. I was the Yankees. <laughs> nice. That horse was Carryback, who won that race, which got me interested in watching the show every week, and then went on to win the Kentucky Derby. Nice. Um, that, that's that's the. I always think there's a god who makes first time gamblers winners, so they get us. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So you, uh, from what I understand, doing some background research and reading about you, you uh, kind of got involved with the law on the wrong side of the law, run, running a book. Is that true? I, I was going to the harness races in New York religiously when I was in college. I went to Queens College, and um, I met an older man who said, hey, if your friend's bad, we can bet, uh, we can, I will book them, and I'll give you 25% of what they lose, and I thought this was the greatest deal ever. <laughs> Until about two years later, I realized, hey, I can do this without losing the seventy-five percent that these guys keep on losing. And from that day on, I was a bookmaker, and my business grew and grew, um, ups and downs for a while. And then when I got it kind of straightened out, right when I was about to quit, I, I got into trouble because I had a customer who was connected to some crime family in Detroit, and I. I had no idea who he was because you get customers from agents then, back then. I guess you still do that. And um, I just picked up a rogue customer, and I my his troubles became my troubles. And <laughs> I had a felony, and I said, that's it. I can't afford a second felony. Um, and I quit, and I became a better because I learned a lot from some of my customers who were pretty legendary betters in that time period including Alan Boston and um, the computer guys, Billy Walters' group. It was 
it was hard to run a business back then, but I learned it the hard way, and then I, I learned to, to pit wise guys against wise guys, and I was doing pretty well when uh, my legal problem came, and I had to change change teams and change styles. And um, I've always bet hockey. Um, I was betting hockey even when I was bookmaking, and I always had a line that was a little different than everybody else's. And for a while, people were going, oh, this is a different line. I'll bet, you know, the teams where I'm an advantage better. And then they quickly learned that I kind of knew what I was doing, and they would call me up just to guide them to bet the other team with the other bookmaker. That was fine. You know, they paid their dues. Very interesting, man. Uh, just to bring it back a little bit, it's it's pretty funny from – what I hear that used to do some bookmaking in the Meadowlands grandstands, and now, ironically enough, they have the FanDuel Sportsbook there with legal sports betting. Isn't that crazy? Um, I was more betting at the track. I wasn't booking at the track, but I would be booking and going to the Meadowlands and, and betting. That was my standard day. I would leave um, Queens at 7 and get to the Meadowlands by, like, 7.45, and um, I was a pretty good harness handicapper at that time, although that game is almost extinct now. Um so I was doing well from both ends as a as a horse better, hockey better, and as a bookmaker. Is it true you had some uh, famous clientele back then uh, that other bookmakers from across the country would contact you? It took a while for me to deal. I started with some good square suckers, and um, for like three years I was just grinding a small urn because they weren't betting that much. And then I met a pretty famous agent, and he gave me a lot of clients who were betting my limit, which I think was 2000 a game back then, and they took me to the cleaners, and I had to reach out to Shylocks, and then I figured it out and started using a better line and looking at information and taking more on hockey and expanding my business to where I had a lot of customers, so there'd be two-way action on everything, and I grinded myself out of trouble, grinded myself into some, you know, decent cash for somebody in their low 30s, and then everything changed when I got busted. Okay, well, fast forward to uh, 2010. I'm sure everyone asks you about this in every interview because not many people have books written about them. But uh, Lay the Favorite by Beth Raymer, it was uh, Dink's former assistant, was written in 2010, and they turned it into a movie, and Bruce Willis actually played Dink. My, my father is a big Bruce Willis fan. He actually went out and bought the same leather jacket that he wore in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> So, so uh, I'm just wondering. I'll ask you one question about the movie. Is Bruce Willis a sharp or was he a square? Did you have to explain to him everything about sports gambling? Um, Bruce Willis, I mean, I, I learned <laughs> we went to dinner and we became friendly. Um, I was a consultant on the movie. And he didn't exactly tell me everything, but I kind of knew. And then he kind of, you know, made it official by telling me parts of the story that, he was a square, and a pretty big square, <laughs> and, and a very sharp better who would probably be the one you would suspect found out and made a deal with him to guide him to bet what he liked and gave Bruce a free roll. And, really? And Bruce Willis did so good with with this deal. He started turning all his losing weeks into winning weeks that he actually thought all these games were fixed and stopped betting because <laughs> it was in a scandal. Is this what? a funny story? And I, didn't, <laughs> and I did not wise him up. I just accepted that and shook my head and said, yeah, wow, that's something. Um, but he didn't realize like how the teasers worked and how the Wong advantage teasers worked. So he kept on 
middling games where he would take seven and a half points and lay one and a half on the money, you know, straight bets and take seven and a half in teasers because that's how you become an advantage player when your teasers cross three and seven. I don't know if you're aware of that, but there are better teasers than others than other teasers. And uh, he didn't really, he said, uh, I think he said, he told me the story of Jeff George throwing an interception when he was up three or something very late in the game. And he, he hit a middle. He won on both sides of the game. And that convinced him that all these games were fixed. Um, I let that <laughs> I let it go, but he was very nice. He was very nice to me and my wife and everybody around him. He was supposed to be a difficult guy to get along with, but um, I, you know his his roots are from Jersey and being a New York bartender, so I guess we just got along right from the start. So you guys were actually throwing down on games during production. Um, he he had stopped betting on games, but we I don't remember the horse's name, but we bet a, a horse that ran in the Derby because they were. They were they were doing production while the derby was being run, and that was run second at like fourteen to one or something. But um, that I remember vividly. And his, you know, he had an uncle that he was close to that was a gambler, so I think he had a little bit more interest in gambling than he led me to believe. He once Very called cool. after the movie. He gave me one phone call, and he wanted my opinion on the Lakers Dallas series of that year, and I told him that Dallas plays a better brand of basketball than the Lakers. And I think he was disappointed because he wanted to bet the Lakers, but um, I turned out to be right about that. Very cool, man. Classic stuff from Alan Dink Dankinson. You guys can follow him at Dink Inc. on Twitter. Let's uh, move forward to 2016. You're pretty famous for being uh, featured in the documentary The Best of It. It's a cult classic. Very powerful. Um, obviously the ending was tragic with what happened to the shrink, but were you, were you happy with how they portrayed the lifestyle and can you kind of touch on what it means to be an advantage player? Um, it was fine. I, Scott Eberle did the, did the movie produce it. He was a, um, producer for TVG and I kind of knew him through other friends and, and I liked him. So I didn't think much of it when he started filming me. Um, I thought the movie worked out well. It, it, it kind of portrayed gambling in a very dark way for the most part. Uh, Alan Boston was, I think, the character of the movie that everybody enjoyed the most because Alan Boston is that kind of person still. Um, Yeah, he's a nut. He's very controversial. He's very opinionated. He's very smart. He's very funny. but And he does things the same way he did them 35 years ago today. And um, it's a lot harder for him. But he's, he's still got a good opinion. And he still works really hard on college basketball. But he's just more of a character than I am. I was more like, even though my life to most people is is out there, I was the same one in the movie of the four that they they dealt with. I didn't know the shrink. <laughs> the shrink was going to be the whole movie, but he passed away in the middle of, the, of, of, of Scott filming him. And the movie lay dormant for a couple of years, and then he decided to add the three of us when Banker was third. Uh, and, and make the documentary about all four of us and not really say that the shrink had died until the very end of the movie and he used his old footage that he did with the shrink. Yeah. Kind of a, a sombering movie. A lot of my friends came to watch it at the house and they didn't know the story and they weren't all gambling friends and they were like, oh my God, at the, at the end, like, I, they thought it'd be a happy go lucky gambling movie, but it really is. Yeah, a little melancholy, but very powerful, man. Just such a classic. I think uh, a lot of people are 
a lot of people enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> moving on into a little, uh, you know, shop talk. You're obviously a hockey pro. For those of you who don't know, uh, Dink, you know, butters his bread in the NHL. <laughs> any uh, any advantages to betting hockey over other sports? Well, you have to make a good line to, to bet any sport, and I find that I can do that best with hockey. Um, I have no idea. I mean, I've tried them all. I, I do okay with baseball now, but it took a while. Um, I just have a feel for what the line should be. And, you know, I, I don't have a model per se, but I use, you know, about seven elements that help me formulate a line besides the power ratings of each team. Injuries are more important. I'm, I think I'm more aware than most about what the meaningful injuries are in hockey. I have a theory about goalies not being as important as most people think they are. You know, I don't want to give all my secrets away, but I kind of put a lot of things in a pot and stir it, and out comes the line, and then I compare it to the line they made. I'm doing a lot more betting on the totals now than on the sides and just find my line is doing better against the totals. Very cool, and very cool. I continue to look at Don Betts as we speak to check the scores. Because, um, I was pretty famous for having a pager. There was a scene in um, Play the Favorite <laughs> with me and the pager. So I think that's what attracted me to, to do this podcast is you like kind of honored of the, the old pagers that we used to have. I had one to the last day that, that, that it like it went out of business. Alan, I'm so glad you mentioned that. You're the first one to even touch on that. I'm not sure many people, especially the younger crowd, even understand the reference. But, yeah, I think you're speaking to the wager pager, right, in the title of the show. Yeah, I drove down the Major Deacon with the pager in my right hand and a screaming passenger by my side. Like, put that pager down. And I said, <laughs> it makes me concentrate more on the road when I'm also looking at the pager. Some people bought that, but that was just mine. My disease of sweating out scores more than any other human being. <laughs> oh my god, so funny, dude! For those who aren't aware, why don't you just uh, explain real quick what a wager pager or a sports beeper is? Before there were cell phones, and the only way to get and before there were these pagers, the only way to get scores was calling um, nine hundred numbers every fifteen minutes to get updates. So I, I that was unfortunately something I did, and and you know I dominated. I was always the only one using the phone at CBGB's because I was a, a punk rock kid, too, at the same time, which is a funny combination, but that's but, what I was. Yeah. <laughs> I still am a little, too. Yeah. Uh, I haven't changed that much in 40 years, which is kind of sad. <laughs> uh, so you would get a phaser, which, you know, would normally be used for somebody who wanted to get your attention or, or send you a message of some kind. Before there was a cell phone, or the cell phones were humongous and expensive when they first came around. So a lot of people had these pages, especially doctors and attorneys and lawyers. But also, they made one just for sports. And every five minutes, the pager would update the scores in the way that the line is um, and, and the rotation of whatever, on best rotation or whatever rotation they used at that time. Um, so... You can squeeze out the scores, because I was a squeezeaholic too. Um, you can squeeze out the scores as they come, and, and you, by the time you finish squeezing a long list of scores, another update would be coming. So you constantly mm -hmm. watch like 12 games at once. In baseball, they, they evolved to tell you where the people were on base and if the ball was in play or you know, at the count. Every five minutes, you'd get kind of a quick update. 
Um, and that, and I, you know, a lot of people became addicted to the pagers, myself included. Uh, and the cell phone re- replaced it. And, and even though most people gave up their, their pager to use the cell phone, I was always like, I can't use the cell phone because when it's college basketball season, there's like 20 games, but the, pay, the cell phone has like 70 games because they don't know who, which games you can bet on. And they had all the little colleges like thing, um, you know, Santa Clara that nobody took lines on then. And, and they're all the conferences and division two schools. And the same thing with college football, and they were muttering up the, you know, the order, and I, you know, I had to comb through game after game that didn't matter at that time. There were a lot less teams used on the board, so I stuck to the way the the, the pagers till the very end, to the death of the pagers. <laughs> so I, still I love have it. I pager on my shelf, on my memorabilia shelf. That is so cool, man. You mentioned Santa Clara. That was probably back when Steve Nash was running point guard for them. There was a the one I used that I remember talking to the person was on Second Avenue something. There was a little sports bar um, that had a ticker, so I would eat mm. you know, dinners there, sweat the ticker, and put my pager down. The ticker giving out the ticker being a running like radio report thing that you <laughs> places had the news, but this would have scores. Um, they used some of the sports books still have a ticker. Um, I was like, I was in Red Rock. They use a ticker, and South Point still has a ticker running above the um, the weight. Wow, awesome, incredible stuff, guys. That's Alan Dink Dankinson again. You can follow him at Dink Inc on Twitter. Let me ask you something that we've been asking a lot of our guests this season. Um, how much stock do you still put into like betting percentages and fading the public? It's been uh, kind of a controversial topic. Some people say it doesn't mean as much as it used to. I know you, you're uh, you're on Don Best a lot. How much do you uh, put this into your handicapping? I think in the early days, and I'll tell you a story that goes with this. In the early days, you could just bet underdogs and, and unders and make money because most of the public bet favorites and over, and they still kind of do. But um, I had a bookmaker, and the first day I bet him like six football games, uh, and they were underdogs. And I think I went five and one. And when he paid me, he said, you have to bet favorites. You can't just bet all, all these underdogs. And I go, well, that's what I mean. I have a line. Don't, doesn't everybody bet favorites? Why do you want me to bet the same size everybody else does? And he says, because they never win. So I said, well, I think I can't do business with you. But that's more <laughs> like that more. The proof of the pudding that people always quote when it doesn't work that more is the Patriots. The Patriots have won and covered so many, such a high percentage of games. And the public is always on the Patriots. Um, favorites and underdogs, overs and unders are kind of like if you bet one the whole season, you're going to lose no matter what you bet, and one's not necessarily going to be better than others anymore. So I'm oblivious to like what the public is betting, and you, you kind of know what the public is betting. Once in a while, when when the public is betting an underdog, I look at it and go, "Well, I, I give a little bit of a credence to betting the favorite when that happens because." They're always betting the public teams and the teams that win. You know, the Rams now is one of them, Kansas City. Those kind of teams that Taylor, you know, that have blowout games will get that more than and, and against Arizona and you know, against the Niners and, and Oakland, the really bad teams. And that doesn't always work. And, you know, usually I, I pay no credence to it is the best way I can just describe it. it. It just doesn't matter. I, I don't – but. I mean, that's a cheap reason to, to bet a, a game. You should study who's injured and uh, 
you know, what the weather's like and things that really matter than to try to, like, oh, if 54% of the bets are on uh, on Green Bay this week. And also, I don't even know where those bets come from. I've asked that question. No one's getting every bit of information from every bookmaker. So it's one bookmaker who says, oh, seven, 63% are bet on, uh, you know, are betting Denver, but 37% are betting Seattle. And this was the Super Bowl from a few years ago. But the money was overwhelmingly bet on Seattle by wise guys. So most bookmakers still needed Denver, even though the public was betting Denver. And if you remember that case, the Seattle won in a route. So in that case, the public was wrong and the wise guys were right. But now a lot of times the wise guys are on favorites. So they're betting along with the public. It's, it's a different world than it was when, when that theory was first conceived. Very interesting. That's pretty much the conclusion that I've been coming to. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of unders and not one team has scored since uh, I've been doing this podcast, so let's keep going until there's a goal. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Alan, um, I'm sure you probably heard about this, but what about the uh, the professional poker players, those bathroom guys with that crazy $100,000 bet? Oh, the, that crazy bet. That came from a bet that was made from my friends. In fact, I I talked to the girl today whose bathroom was used for that bet. Not the what? current bet. Not the current uh. bet. Old bet, which was also the person who liked this one, the person who left in that bathroom. And he had the lights on and he had food and he had books to read and he mm -hmm. had a left on. The guy who did this bet put himself in a very dangerous place where, yeah. where he has no light and he has no idea what time it is. And, and it was. You know, that was an unhealthy wager, and I don't, I can't believe that he lasted two weeks and they had a buyout, which was the same thing that happened with Brian. And Brian Zembeck also had a famous bet where he had to get breasts for a year. Uh, he's the same guy who was in the bathroom like 25 years ago, and that's kind of the first bathroom bet was made. And I'm sure this bet was patterned after that bet. Uh, and he, he got breasts and not only did he have them for a year and won a hundred thousand dollars, but he has them to this day, uh, twenty five years later maybe. So um, then there's a book about it called "The Man with a Hundred Thousand Dollar Breast." Oh, oh, the breasts, yeah. <laughs> so that bet and the bathroom bet were done by originally by the same characters. Wow. Um, I think this bathroom bet, the, the new one, which has a lot of great storyline in it on Twitter, is, uh, is, is patterned after that. That's right. Well, I felt like, wow, they made this so much harder than the bet that Brian had to go through. And I thought that guy could never last a day, but he lasted two weeks. And once he lasts two weeks, he's probably going to last a full month. And then they had a buyout, which was good because I don't know if he would have lived for two more weeks. But yeah. I, I was thinking, I don't think I can last an hour that. I don't think I can go into a dock bathroom and sit there for an hour and, you know, it would probably freak me out, let alone a month. And that that kid has discipline, whoever that, I don't know those poker players, they're very much younger than I am, but that's an amazing discipline every year. That kid's going to be successful whatever he does if he can pull out two weeks without life in the bathroom. I think yeah. he made 20 days, actually. Yeah. Crazy. Um, yeah, okay. poker players, poker players uh, these props that they make are, are just amazing. Sometimes you're around them and you hear these amazing stories. Um, 
Howard Letter was offered $10,000 to eat a cheeseburger because he was a long-practicing vegan, and he ate the cheeseburger, got paid by David Gray $10,000. But because David was his friend and David had a, a phobia about olives, Howard said, I'll give you back the $10,000 if you eat a bowl of olives. And David refused, saying he's a, he's a man of principle. He wouldn't eat the olives. <laughs> Alan, I was going to ask you, how often do, like, bets like this happen, you know, in, in the gambling world where people don't really know about, you know? There's so many things that, you know, this is a very <laughs> private world of, of crazy people who are very usually very smart and clever. And because they're survivors, they, they know it's hard to survive. I, I've been doing this for 40 years, and it's much harder now, and I wish I attacked it. I always thought, well, I'm making enough money to have a really nice life. I don't have to kill myself. I'm always going to be able to do this. And, of course, other people got smarter. And then when the stock market crashed, a lot of people who were very successful in the stock market turned to sports betting because that didn't change. You were still laying 11 to 10. The line was still the same. It didn't matter that the economy of all over was tanking. They, they used their intelligence to take on a different form. And they became successful sports betters. And then my rival got much better than I am. Everybody's making a piece of the pie. So we're all competing against each other. We're not just competing against the bookie. If uh, people wise up the line and wise and have all these accounts that get the best before I do, it's so much harder now. I'm just trying to grind out the nice living, but I work so hard. I work so long now. I don't work out hard. Yeah. It's still fun but I put in so many more hours than I did when I was in my 30s. Yeah, and that, that actually leads me to um, my next question, and I think our last question here. Um, so just in terms of the legalization of sports gambling, um, how do you feel about the legalization of sports gambling? And is it almost similar to, like, finding out, you know, one of your favorite bands has gone mainstream or something along those lines? Like, how do you feel about you know, that, that this world is coming to light and a lot more people are going to be involved in this? Um, I'm surprised that a lot of people who are getting involved in this didn't have a bookmaker in the first place. They might think this is better now. They can do it at home from their phone in, in certain states. So yeah. it becomes more convenient and they aren't dealing with somebody who actually is a criminal and they know they're going to get paid. But there are a lot of us those sharp sports bettors who were salivating when they found out there was going to be a lot of different bookmakers. It just wasn't going to be like an extension of Las Vegas. Mm. And they quickly found out that they were not welcome to bet with most of these properties. At first, some of the sports books had like minus 40 on both sides, which was just, you know, we everybody laughed at it. But then they went to like normal lines and they were actually beatable. And I was kind of regretting that I wasn't in Jersey for a while. Um, but eventually, I think I would have got thrown out like so many of the other ones. Right, right, right. I mean, that's that's something that we've touched on here um, on the Wager Pager is how a lot of these really sharp betters go into sports books like William Hill. Um, I mean, there's videos of, of really sharp betters getting kicked out. Like Spanky. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, it's up to – a lot of people think it's fair, you know, but what I think is that it makes the next guy in line the, the sharpest guy. There's a guy like, you know, who couldn't get down because the other guys were faster and, and better. 
but now he has access to that same number that that um, one of the sharper or some of the sharper guys who got thrown out have, and then he'll be the sharpest guy, and then he'll get thrown out, and then the next guy will be the sharpest guy. I have a lot of these sports apps here, and I keep my bets small because I want to last longer than you know than if I win ten bets out of eleven get thrown out. I have kind of permanent longevity because I'm betting them five hundred to a thousand instead of maximum bets. They yeah. still they still don't take them all. They still put me on hold, look at the play, mm-hmm. and decide if they want it or not. But at least they haven't thrown me out, and that's been pretty good for me. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe one day I'll have some connection in Jersey who'll make bets for me. I have no idea. Yeah. I have to see. <laughs> it's it, it, it's interesting because it. I mean, there were so many people saying dumb things like everybody's going to get addicted. And if you want to bet sports. You're addicted already, especially if you have to put up the money. Um, that that you, you're gonna if you're an addict, a sports betting addict, you would have found the bookmaker either offshore or in your neighborhood who'd be taking your bets. I don't think yeah. it's changing all that much, except more people are aware that the leagues want to cut, and if they'll get a cut, it's fine with them to let people bet sports now. Um, it was always not, you know, the sports books in Vegas were always a sign of corruption because kids out of the street would bring a suitcase with 50,000 and want to bet against Arizona State. (laughs) They don't understand that not everybody in the world is doing that. They're the only ones and it's pretty much, you know, a given that this game might be fishy and if it happens the second time that they come in to the Mirage with with a satchel full of money and betting against Arizona State, it goes to say that Jimmy Vaccaro, who was who understands who understood the business at that time would understand that something's wrong with this back, um, and that's how that that was uh, Sunshine Smith, and that was an ESPN feature a long time ago. That we were the, the, the bookmakers were actually the the telling system for corruption. They were they were the ones who didn't want corruption. They were the ones who were going to you know tell the authorities that hey, there's something wrong with every game that. Donahue's refereeing, they always seem to win, and they move four points for no good reason. But the only good reason that – the only link thing you could see is that they have the same referee in every game moving four points and always winning. And, and that's how he got caught. It, you know, mm-hmm. The book just blow the whistle on these things. So we were actually keeping sports more – we were. I, I'm not a bookmaker, but the bookmaking industry – was keeping sports a little cleaner at that time. And I'll tell you a story from when I was booking, and it was a genius story. The the clock and the piston games wasn't a second. It was like either a second and a quarter or, or mm-hmm. three quarters of a second. And, and basketball totals were just coming around. And there was a, a group of people who knew which clock they were going to use. And the games were extended or cut short four minutes if, they, if you used which you have a program you use to run the clock. And since it was a total, nobody was aware that no one was cheating for a side. They were just cheating to get more or less points. Uh, and it took a while for bookmakers to figure that out, that the most money being bet was always bet on these system totals, and they were always correct. So that was Holy one of the shit. great scams that, that I, you know, it cost me a lot of money, but I always kind of admired the people for thinking of that. Wow, crazy, amazing stuff. Yeah, it was different when I, I, I know you guys are in your thirties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was 
the time when I was in my 30s that all of these crazy things were going on. I think the world is a little better now, and um, and the, the gambling world is a little better. The, the scammers aren't scamming sports betting; they're scamming others. <laughs> like casinos, Phil Ivey, you know, putting in a deck of cards where, where he can read the cards. You know, things like that are, are more prevalent than uh, people scamming sports. I, I think games are 98.9% honest, and it may be a small college game where you can get to a, a kid, but, I, you know, I don't see it. I don't, I'm not watching college line movements, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who are, and I haven't heard of anybody thinking that any games have been picked. We appreciate all the nuggets you're dropping, man. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah. You guys are great. Thank you so much. All right, guys. That was Alan Dink Denkinson. He's a professional sports better, in case you didn't know. Uh, Las Vegas legend and all around very, very nice guy. You can go ahead and follow him on Twitter at Dink Inc. Alan, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you. I, I give out my games for donations to a horse charity, a horse rescue charity. So if anybody's interested in finding out how that works, the games have been doing pretty well. Um, I only charge one unit a month, so I, I'm pretty sure I can get everybody at least a one-unit profit each month. So it's a win-win situation. It's even tax deductible. Oh, that's awesome. And and everybody can go on your Twitter and find all that info, right? And just ask me. I saw it at the beginning of the month, so everybody starts on the first. So um, okay. the next two weeks will be, you know, you can watch. I, I keep the records on my Twitter account. I send people to a secure Twitter, Twitter account to get the game. You can follow Alan on Twitter at Dink Inc. That's D-I-N-K-I-N-C. Uh, go and learn more about the uh, program that you're running over there. That sounds great. Thank you. I appreciate that. The Wager Pager podcast is presented by uwager.eu, where America bets. uwager.eu is the official online sportsbook of the Wager Pager podcast. Log on to uwager.eu slash wager pager. That's uwager.eu slash wager pager to receive a 50% welcome bonus up to $1,000 deposits. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Wager Pager Podcast, NFL Week 16. We're super stoked to welcome back, as usual, Jimmy Dice Rulin to the pod. What's up, brother? How you doing? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. What's up? You making cookies, hanging stockings, wrapping presents? What's good, man? Actually, you 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 nailed it, man. I made some uh, some Christmas cookies with the kiddos uh, this morning. Uh, I was wrapping presents just before the podcast. uh, Pretty much all the all the shopping done. Just can't believe Christmas is uh, like three, four days away. Uh, every time I say it, it's like every year it comes quicker and quicker. Uh, like I just still can't believe it's week 16, you know, and it feels like we just started this, uh, you know, in the last couple of days. So, but uh, it's been a blast, man. I lo- enjoyed uh, building that bankroll and uh, looking forward to building more of it. So let's go. Let's do this. No doubt. Well, uh, you've been a very good boy. Uh, so you had some nice bets over the uh, course of the NFL season. There might be a little uh, cannabis mistletoe hanging over your uh, doorway come Christmas yeah. Eve. <laughs> no doubt. All right, let's roll in here to uh, NFL Week 16. We are doing, as usual, our four-down territory, four best bets in the NFL. Why don't you kick it off? Who you got, man? We, who you got? 
stick. So my uh, down, Chris. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with a local game. Uh, I'm going to take the New York Jets getting three points at home against Green Bay. Uh, I just pretty much think uh, Green Bay is in just pretty much uh, a shutdown mode. Uh, I know a lot of uh, there's like a little grumblings about, you know, Aaron Rodgers uh, should be more of the blame than Coach McCarthy. Uh, I know he's supposedly playing hurt, you know, but he's really got no weapons. Uh, and I just think, you know, I know the Jets uh, have been struggling over the last couple of years. This is probably uh, Todd Bowles the last couple of games as a Jets head coach, I think. Uh, but I know those guys definitely respect Todd Bowles and uh, probably want to try to send them off with a couple of uh, wins to help him with his uh, next coaching gig. So, But uh, I just like uh, the Jets getting three uh, with a Green Bay team that's pretty much disappointing this year, uh, limping, uh, a lot of – key players and offensive players out. I just don't really see how uh, they're going to score any points and, and you know, really do anything much. So uh, I'll take the Jets uh, plus the three at home. What you got? Kind of juicy, brother. Let's keep it local. I'm going with the G-Men. The new Giants plus nine and a half on the road. I might even sprinkle a little bit on the money line here, plus 350. People are going to tell me, yeah, Chris, Colts have won seven of eight games that something's got to give here, man. I think the G-Men bounce back after being shut out last week. The Giants should be in full tank mode here, but I think they will go full Giants mode and win when they should fucking lose. Yes, the Colts are in the thick of things in the AFC playoffs, but that's why I'm going all in on the G-Men, 100% contrarian play. Give me the Giants plus nine and a half. Wow, ballsy play, ballsy play, but hey. Uh, I think if uh, the Giants' uh, offense can click, you know, with uh, Shaquan, Odell, you know, Eli and that line holding up, uh, I think, uh, what do they get, nine and a half? Yeah, nine and a half. Uh, I'm not sure mm-hmm. Odell's play- playing or not, but uh, nine and a half. Yeah, I mean, that could be a, a lot of points. You know, I know they just uh, got shut out last week, good point, but, uh, you know, it's it, it could be a lot of points. And I know the Colts, they're just really looking to win the game, not necessarily blow up team so uh that could be potentially a good good play so uh but for my uh second down play uh i'm gonna go with uh the houston texans uh plus one and a half against philly uh i think philly's right now just fool's gold you know i know they had that big win last week uh nick Bowles coming up but uh, i just don't really trust philadelphia i think they're still too banged up uh, I, I like Houston's defense. I think they're going to be able to get to uh, Nick Foles. And uh, and I think uh, Deshaun Watson will uh, be able to, uh, you know, write that suit the right way and uh, potentially get the win, you know, by a couple, you know, like three, four points. So um, I just like uh, Houston getting the win until he loses and pretty much uh, Dallas just has to win to get in. So uh, I like uh, Houston getting one and a half in this, uh, this matchup against Philly. No, I like that play, man. Maybe even the money line there. Uh, that almost made my four-down territory. That was like my fifth game. Moving on here, uh, second down and four-down territory. NFL Week 16, best bets. I'm going with a home dog. Detroit Lions plus six. This game opened at five. I'm getting a full point of value here. This is the second matchup of the season. Last time, the Vikings won big 24-9. Big interdivisional matchup. I like the fucking revenge factor here. My power numbers say this would be more like a three-point spread, man. I'm getting six. Give me Detroit Lions plus six at home versus the Vikings. Classic end-of-the-season underdog play. 
Yeah, dude, no, I like that. I'm definitely going to tell you. I might even uh, sprinkle on that money line uh, at 220 on uh, you wager. So, uh, no, I, I just like that. You know, I just don't really think uh, Minnesota is very good. Uh, I think they overpaid for uh, Kirk Cousins. He really hasn't done much. Uh, I think they're a mediocre team. And uh, I just think Detroit and, uh, you know, Stafford and their offense can probably uh, keep that close and potentially win that at home. So uh, I think that's uh, a solid play on on your part. So uh, hopefully uh, you're cashing that ticket in on uh, Sunday. So. Uh, what are you looking at here, uh, third down? Yeah, for third down, man, uh, I, I I don't know, man. I, I mean, I liked Cleveland this year. Uh, I know uh, they've definitely, uh, you know, t- are starting to really turn around that team with uh, all those high draft picks. Baker Mayfield looks like probably the real deal. Um, but a divisional game, you know, and Cleveland has that glimmer of hope of potentially uh, making the playoffs of like a thousand – ping-pong ball uh, bounce their way. Um, but I just think nine and a half points for divisional game is just a little too much, uh, especially for a Cleveland team that, you know, again, is the Cleveland Browns. You know, I know they've turned it around, but um, I think Cincinnati's just looking, you know, like, hey, we're not in it. You know, this is a rough year. They've got – they're decimated by injury. Uh, I just see Cincinnati just keeping this close. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying Cleveland loses, but – I don't know, Cleveland to win by 10. Uh, I just think that's a little too much uh, for me. So uh, I'll take Cincinnati uh, getting uh, nine and a half points on a, uh, a divisional game, you know, for the end of the season to pretty much uh, completely uh, take the Browns out of it and, uh, you know, salvage what kind of a season think he could have. So, uh, you know, so let's go Bengals. Yeah, man, pretty juicy. Uh, it seems like the Browns are like America's team now, taking over the Cowboys spot. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Just uh, I might have to roll with you on that. Fuck, fuck the trend. Save the public. I'm going to uh, move on here into third down territory. Call me crazy. This is a Saturday night game, 8.20 p.m. kickoff. I like the Ravens plus four. This is a huge game for both teams. Ravens versus the Chargers. Chargers at home, if you want to call it a home. Chargers tied atop the AFC West with the Chiefs and Baltimore one game behind Pittsburgh in the AFC North. And I'm loving the play of Gus Edwards, repping Rutgers, just running like a beast the last couple weeks. Uh, Baltimore's won four of the last five games, bro. And the Chargers have won four straight, too. Something's got to give. Give me the Ravens plus four. Yeah, I looked at that game. I was actually going back and forth. Um you know, this is a big game, like you said, for the Chargers. They win this. They could potentially, you know, uh, claim that top spot in the AFC. Uh, it's just kind of crazy. It's like the Chargers win, and they're probably the first seed, and if they lose, they're the fifth seed. Uh, it's just nuts how that, you know, that's just going to happen with a team that's going to have potentially 12 wins in uh, in, in the year. So it's kind of crazy how that is. But, you know, Baltimore is uh, scrapping to keep uh, keep that last playoff spot. Uh so, uh, but yeah, that could be a good play. You know, uh, they've got a lot more to lose than, than the Chargers. So, and like you said, there's really no home field advantage when it comes to the LA Chargers. So, uh, that that could be a good play. So, uh, good luck with that. Yeah, I just think at this point in the season, a lot of these games that like get uh, tagged as must win it doesn't doesn't always come through as a win. It's like, yeah, that's the situation. But this is NFL. All these teams are coming to play and. 
Yep. I just love going going against those must-win situations at this point in the season. Yeah, man, uh, I agree. This is, you know, Baltimore's playoff starts now. You know, they need to stay winning to uh, stay in the playoff hunt. So, because like you said, the Colts are uh, right there. So, uh, if they win this, they probably lock up that one of those spots. But uh, where the Chargers, like I said, if they lose, you know, they're still in it. But it definitely fills uh, a lot of the seating. So, uh, this could be a good crucial game. So that should be a fun game to watch. So, but, uh, but yeah, man, for, uh, my fourth down, uh, play, uh, for the four down territory for the NFL, uh, call me crazy, but, uh, I'm gonna fade the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I know they're hot. I know they, uh, Ooh. won like five of six games. You know, they got blanked last week, uh, against the Colts, uh, was on that game. Um, but I just like Tampa getting seven points. Um, I really don't see Dallas kind of blowing teams out. You know, they tend to keep games closer than they should. Um, Dallas is just going to need to win in their end pretty much. And, um, and this is going to be a lot of pressure on uh, the Dallas Cowboys and Jason Garrett. Uh, you know, part of me wants Dallas to win this so they get the playoffs. And part of me wants them to lose because I think if they miss the playoffs, uh, I think Jason Garrett is, uh, you know, uh, cashing his ticket for, uh, to be on the unemployment line, which I kind of been hoping for, uh, the last 12 years. But, uh, but anyways, back to, uh, Tampa. I just think, uh, they got a solid squad. They just had a, you know, a tough year, you know, uh, the whole Winston and Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic and stuff like that. But seven points, uh, I just like Tampa getting seven points. A lot of times when Tampa just people getting that many points. Uh, they were either in the game or winning outright. So uh, I like Tampa getting uh, seven points against Dallas. Yeah, Tampa Bay catching seven. You can get that number over uwager.eu, where America bets. Yeah, dude, I don't know. I might have to tell you on that. Uh, what, what do you got, man? What's your, what's your fourth down uh, play for this, uh, this week's NFL? All right, fourth down here. Four down territory, NFL Week 16. I love this play. I think this is my strongest play of the week. San Francisco 49ers, bro, flying under the radar. We got the Bears on the road in San Francisco. San Fran catching four. Plus 175 on the money line. Might even want to look into that. Hello, Nick Mullins leads the NFL in passing yards since week 13. Are you kidding me? Long travel spot for the Bears. Looking for a letdown here. Classic Bears sucker bet. Everyone's all, yeah, Bears minus four versus the shitty 49ers. You know, comfortable lead in the NFC North, sitting pretty. I like this game, man. 49ers plus four. Yeah, man, I saw that. Um, I I, kind of agree with you, man. That's like uh, the too-good-to-be-true bet, you know, like you said. I feel it's like uh, the sports books are kind of just suckering uh, the Chicago – followers and just like hey chicago you know one of the better teams and bright spots in the nfc this year uh against like you said the shitty san francisco 49ers but you know kyle shanahan man it seems like whoever he has back there as uh, a qb he just crushes it so uh, uh that could be a, a good play for you so uh, hopefully uh, we're cashing uh some winning tickets this sunday all right guys that's it for our last four down territory of 2018 nfl week 16 Four best bets in the NFL. Jimmy, the Dice Man ruling. Where's that elf on the shelf, brother? Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a big elf on the shelf hater. So we go with uh, 
Olaf, man. I got a, I, I, my kids are huge Frozen fans, so we, we put Olaf pretty much, uh, we substitute the elf with Olaf, and my kids love it. So, uh, I think right now he's hiding underneath the chimney, and my kids gotta find him, and when they find him, they can actually give him a hug. And if they don't give him a hug, then, uh, Santa doesn't come. So, you know, they, they gotta search for him, where the elf on the shelf, you're not allowed to touch him, and it's just dumb. I hate that elf on the shelf shit, so. <laughs> all right you guys heard it here first that elf on the shelf shit is whack it's all about that olaf shit <laughs> jimmy the dice man rule is checking in for the wager pager podcast man it's been a pleasure doing this with you all year but we're going to keep doing it but this is the last episode of 2018 happy holidays merry christmas i'm not afraid to say it to rebecca you emmett Juliana, love you guys. Yeah, man. Thanks, guys. Mercedes, uh, Chris, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, definitely enjoying the ride and uh, look forward to uh, more podcasts from you guys and hopefully uh, coming on uh, future uh, podcasts as well. And uh, You guys have a great holiday season. Get pumped, get psyched, baby. Definitely. All right, guys, that's it for episode 17. And as always, good luck, happy handicapping, and may the gambling gods look gracefully down upon you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a review, and please tell all your friends about us. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Wager Pager. Also, if you or a loved one has a gambling addiction, don't be scared to seek help. You can contact the National Council on Problem Gambling at 1-800-522-4700. They're open 24 hours a day, and all calls are confidential. Get pumped, get psyched. It's the Wager Pager Podcast. Later. The Wager Pager Podcast is co-hosted and co-produced by Chris Rogers and Mercedes Barba. Edited by Mercedes Barba. Created by Chris Rogers. Additional analysis provided by Jim Rulin. Music by The Morose Project. Produced and written at San Francisco Music Studios. Logo designed by John Carbonella. And all picks are for entertainment purposes only. These plays are not financial advice.